try this week. But to get us to our, our setting there, I just want to remind us of this cave season of David's life where he's on the run, right? Through no fault of his own, he didn't do anything wrong. King Saul is just jealous and pathologic, pathologically um, angry. Messed up. <clears throat> messed up. That's good. Thank you. Thank you. When I pause like that, just jump in. I'll throw spiritual words like that, messed good. up. That's good. That's good. That's what I'm here for. So, so David's being hunted down, and um, it, sometime in his time of running like a fugitive, I'm sure that he had to be like, God, what is going on? You promised the throne. I'm supposed to be the king. And instead, I'm on the run. And those were hard years that he's on the run for all those years. Now, here's the deal, though. David was not entirely alone that whole time. He did have some people come to him, and they formed a little community, um, but honestly, it doesn't look like they were a real promising group. Um, 1 Samuel 22, verse 2, this is David's little community here, it says, all those who were in distress or were in debt or discontented gathered around him, and he became their leader. About 400 men were with him, right? I planted a smaller version of that a few years ago. For church plant? Yeah. 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 Anybody been in a small group leaders and you go, oh yeah, that's been a group I've been in before. <laughs> Anybody ever had one of those? The Island of Misfit Toys. Yeah. <laughs> yeah so sometimes that is who gathers around us. Um, probably not a real enticing community to join. I'm not sure that I would sign on for that one, but David spends years with these guys. And if we flip ahead now to 1 Samuel 30, this is still again the wilderness era of David's life, cave to cave. He's Running And finally, they established kind of this refugee community in a village called Ziklag. So by now, they've taken wives, they've gotten married, they're raising families, and they kind of have, I guess, good jobs in a sense. Um, something like, you know, a pirate, except they're on land, so they're raiding other villages, raiding the enemies of Israel. So I guess they're marauders. Is that a, is a good that, way of putting it? Yeah. Pirates in the desert? Yeah. So they would sometimes hire themselves out to go fight battles. Well, apparently they had enough of King Saul because they went to the Philistines. Anybody remember about the Philistines? Like Goliath when David was young, kind of his claim to fame. Uh, they actually go to join the Philistines in battle uh, to fight King Saul. But the Philistine tribal leaders thought, that's a little fishy. So they're like, no, get out of here. So they send David and his men to go back to their village. So when the men get back to Ziklag, their village is gone. It's been burned. Their wives and sons and daughters were taken captive. So just try to put yourself in those shoes. These men, they're outlaws, they're fugitives from their own country. They have this little refugee village, and now they get there, and it's gone. 1 Samuel 30 verse 4 says, So David and his men wept until they had no strength left to weep. You ever wept like that, anyone? Just weep until there's no more tears and you don't have any more strength to cry anymore? They, they wept and, and grieved that hard. That, that sounds pretty bad, right? Sounds pretty bad, but for David, it's about to get worse. Look at verse 6. David was greatly distressed because the men were talking of stoning him. Each one was bitter in spirit because of his sons and daughters. They didn't say anything about the wives, but I'm going to get in trouble quite no. right. Okay. Yeah. Let's pause a second before we read on in this story. Think about this. Here's David. He's a fugitive from his own country. His own king is trying to kill him. His mentor, the prophet Samuel, is dead. The Philistines don't trust him. His best friend Jonathan is out of his life. His ragtag little community has been decimated, and now his 
men, his soldiers, they want to stone him. And you can see how people feel, right, in all of this. You imagine where David's at. David, uh, this, this anointed leader, um, having, having seen at the very beginning what he felt was pomp and circumstance or at least um, a level of, hey, you're in. God's in with you. Here you go. Yeah. And now you find yourself in a cave. You find yourself with the, the island of misfit toys. Um, and, and he's looking around at them. He's going, well, wait a second. I'm... I'm, I'm, I'm Oh, you're going to stone me. <laughs> yeah. you're, you're, the, you're the ones who are the, the, the misfits. They're, you're cast out. You're, you're debtors. You're, oh, and you're going to stone me. But at the same time, what happens to us when we lose everything? Yeah. Yeah. The anger pops up. It's going to go somewhere, right? And where does it go? It goes to David. Yeah, we blame. We're angry. We want someone to pay. Right. And so they're going to... They're going to take him out. He's distressed. And then comes, I think, one of the greatest statements in the entire Bible. Look at the end of verse 6. And, and the old King James translates it like this. It says, but David encouraged himself in the Lord his God. Right? Things are bad, but David encouraged himself. He, he, he found strength. He was strengthened. He was encouraged in the Lord. And I, I, just, I just love that. Like, I, I love the whole encouragement piece. Like, don't you love to be encouraged by people, especially when you're feeling down? And, and maybe when you come here on Sunday morning, we hope that you feel encouraged when we worship together. Or sometimes you read a book or you listen to a message uh, and something stirs our hearts and we're encouraged. But when you're really in a deep, dark cave and there's nobody to turn to and there's nothing that seems to impact us, we're in a place where, where we can be encouraged by God alone, I kind of wonder if that might sometimes be the best place to be. <laughs> Not the most enjoyable place at all. Isn't it funny? We sort of, we don't, we don't ever say it out loud necessarily, but there is a piece of us that sort of says, and again, I don't believe we even cognate this to ourselves or verbalize it to ourselves. Well, at, at least I got dug. You know, I, I get to a place where I'm, I'm, I'm broken, I'm mad, I'm angry, I'm whatever, and the courage that you take, right, encouragement is in the people surrounding you. You say, to your, you don't really say to yourself, but you gird yourself up with, well, I, I know I've got you. You know, the other day my wife and I were talking about something painful, or pa not necessarily painful, really scary. We're very fearful. Um, there's a lot of I don't knows. There's a lot of who knows what's going to happen, a lot of not in our controls. However, I was driving along, and, and this thing occurred to me. I mean, we've been together 25 years, so it's just not going to go anywhere. I mean. <laughs> that was a joke. <laughs> I'll pay for it later. Um, like, uh, at least I get to keep you, you know? At least, at least I get to keep you. And that's for my family. That's for my wife. And, but the, the, the thing is that that still comes to a place where the courage has to come from larger and, and, and bigger and more holy and more eternal than my wife yeah. or my kids or my friends. Yeah. And so the whole idea of being ultimately encouraged in the Lord, right? Every other resource is gone. Every prop has been kicked out from under us. The, the crutch has broken or been taken away. And David encouraged himself in the Lord. And so I had been camping on that phrase, and I was kind of wondering, so what does it mean to be, you know, encouraged in the Lord? And part of it, I think, at least, is that, that it meant that David took his heart to God 
and poured his heart out to God, just as he was. I mean, think about this. This is, this is David. He's the, a man after God's own heart we've talked about. And he is one of the great prayers and prayers and worshipers in the history of people that, that walk with God. And so for the rest of our time this morning, Jim and I are going to look at uh, some of the Psalms, many of which were written by, by David in, in the Bible. And as we look at, a, we're just going to look at three different categories, but as we look at them, I, I'm, I'm hoping that we will get a picture of what it looks like to worship God, to talk to him about everything that we're going through, anything and everything, what it looks like for us, for us to find our encouragement and our strength in God. So the Psalms, we'll kick into the Psalms here, and then we'll look at a few types of the Psalms. Um, I love using the Psalms to pray, like especially if something, you know, if your prayers ever feel like they're just kind of bouncing off the wall or bouncing off the ceiling or it doesn't feel real effective, sometimes it's so helpful to open Scripture, and, and Psalms can help us connect with God. I once heard someone say something like, all of the Bible is filled with God's words to us, but the Psalms are our words back to God. In fact, the, the Psalms have been the source of many prayers of people that walk with God throughout history. It, it puts words, it gives us voice to times of sorrow or joy. Jesus himself actually used the Psalms to help him pray. Uh, when, we, when we see the triumphal entry made, um, what we call uh, the week there where Palm Sunday happens, his followers... They even shouted for joy, and they used a psalm. They said, blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. And that was in Luke 19. But where did they come up with those words of thanks and praise? Well, that's a direct quote right out of Psalm 118. So the psalms, they can give voice to our worship or our praise or our joy, but they can also give voice to our pain, to our despair. And an example of that we looked at during the Lenten season on the darkest moment in history as Jesus hung on the cross. And when the first time in eternity, Jesus' heart was so rended, there was so much darkness. And Jesus cried out in that moment on the cross, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That prayer that he prayed right there, that is a quote from the prayer of David in Psalm 22. It was actually Psalm 22 where David cried out feeling forsaken even if he wasn't forsaken, felt forsaken. It was that bad and that psalm gave voice to Jesus' prayer hundreds of years later. So the psalms, they give voice to our prayers, whether joy and gladness or sorrow and despair. On our best days, on our worst days, these psalms, these words can help us to cry out to God from an authentic heart, a genuine heart that we come as we are. And so I think it's important that we, that we look at this wide span of the psalms and how they can be helpful for us today. Like some people think, oh, the psalms are just this nice inspirational devotional book that you might read in the morning to put yourself in a positive frame of mind for the day, right? Now that can be a good thing to do and the psalms can do that. But if we think that's all the psalms are, like just a nice little inspirational devotional book that you might need in the morning just to help you have a positive outlook on your day, like if that's all we make it, then that misses what the psalms completely encompass. Because if we only think of the psalms as shiny, happy little pieces there, 
then we get really confused. We get disappointed by what we're reading because while there are lots of psalms that are uplifting and inspiring, there are just as many that are real head scratchers, right? Real downers. So for example, if you flipped open your Bible tomorrow morning and you got your cup of coffee and want a little inspiration from the Psalms and you're going to encourage yourself in the Lord, right? You land on Psalm 136. It says, let's read this together actually, ready? Give thanks to the Lord for he is good. His love endures forever. Give thanks to the God of gods. His love endures forever. And this goes on like that for 26 verses and we'd be like oh man that's wonderful i feel totally inspired god is good his love endures forever so let's just go take on the day that was that was a, that was a good one right but let's say i didn't have to be anywhere i had a couple more minutes and so i'm been in <laughs> psalm 136 there and and I'm like, oh, I think I'm going to read for more inspiration. Let's go to Psalm 137, the very next psalm, right? Uh, we'll skip ahead to verse 8, put that on the screen. I won't have you read this out loud, right? Have you seen this one before? O oh, daughter of Babylon, doomed to destruction, happy is he who repays you for what you have done to us. <clears throat> he who seizes your infants and dashes them against the rocks. That makes a really poor cross stitch, just so you all know. <laughs> <laughs> it's a bad. <laughs> Pretty bad. That would be weird. You haven't yeah. seen that on a bumper sticker? I have not yet. No. no, no. Yet. <laughs> you yet. never know, right? Yeah. So, so, I mean, like, right, we go, whoa, you read that and go, whatever happened to love your neighbor, I'm glad we got to the New Testament eventually. That's some, that's some harsh stuff, right? Stacy, we were talking, right? What you said, it sounded, he sounds schizophrenic or something's wrong with this man who's writing these psalms that go both ways, Right? And sometimes I've wondered, like, how come they just didn't take the psalms and organize them a little better, right? Put all the angry psalms in one place. In a tab. Right, in a tab, yeah, yeah. And if you're angry. Psalms. <laughs> and, and here's where you go for all the sad psalms. Just no get coffee. To those. <laughs> right, sorry. You would have had that yesterday, right, yeah. <laughs> he asked for it. He invited me. So. Yeah, yeah. So, so it would just make it, wouldn't it make it easier to find this stuff if they were just organized that way at any given moment so that I'm not joyfully filled and then I read the next one and it's this explosive, angry one when I least expect it? Well, Dave Johnson, who's a mentor to both of us, said it this way. He said, I think that the reason that the Psalms are messy, and they are, is because life is messy. Sometimes you have a really good day and you have a really bad day all on the same day. Amen. Right? And he went on to talk about how the, it can be really helpful when we read the Psalms to think of it like we're reading someone else's prayer journal. right? Just, and that's been helpful for me. Like when I read the Psalm, it's someone else's prayer journal. It's all there, right? Sorrow and anger and joy and forgiveness and revenge and rage and compassion and kindness. There's no holds barred. These are uncensored, unfiltered, raw expressions of the heart. None of the highs or lows getting filtered out. It's, it's all there. It's authentic prayer. And it deals with all parts of our lives, not just the pretty parts, not just the happy parts. And Eugene Peterson, in his book on the Psalms, Answering God, he says it this way, <clears throat> The Psalms teach us to bring our lives in their fullness before our God in his fullness. So with the rest of our, our time here, we're going to look at three different kinds of Psalms, and we're going to use them as our words back to God. And Jim's going to take the first one where we're going to talk about Psalms of Lament, 
And then I'll take the second one, and then we'll move back to the third kind. But it's my prayer that as we do this, especially these, these first two kinds of psalms, that we, like David, will find ways to be encouraged in the Lord. Just like David was, that we'll find our strength in God through giving voice to whatever we're going through. So, James. Thanks, sir. Um, if you think about where David's at, right, uh, he's living in a cave, and I think all of us have been in that place, whether we were intentionally getting there or we somehow found ourselves, we go, wow, I'm in a cave. Or you look back and you go, gosh, look at that time in my life, that season, I was, I was in a cave. You look at David's response and you, you, if you ask yourself what he did and you look through the Psalms, you're going to see, you, you have to ask yourself a question. Was he phony? Was he fake? Did he stuff it? Uh, did he do what, what a lot of us do, which is sort of take that, that advice we used to hear in youth group? I was a youth guy for a long time. I, I know I told people the same thing. Fake it till you make it, right? right? We've all heard that before. And in, on some Sundays, you, you feel like that's exactly what you're doing because the most commonly asked question on any given Sunday morning is what? How are you? And what is the most commonly told lie on any given Sunday in the United States of America? <laughs> Fine. Fine. Good. Great. Yeah. Yeah. Amen to that. Confession booth up here, I think. Yeah. And no, that's not what David does. In fact, David, and, and I think this is when you, you start realizing David is, is someone after God's own heart. David shares, he opens, he, he, he discusses his discouragement openly with God. Uh, if you turn in your Bibles, if you have Bibles, turn, them to, uh, turn to Psalm 142. Um, it's also up on the screen, I'm assuming, right? Yep. Um, in, in Psalm 142, this, this sort of expresses David's cry when he's living in the cave. He says this. It's a mascal of David. It says, when he was in the cave, a prayer. I cry aloud to the Lord. I lift up my voice to the Lord for mercy. I pour out my complaint before him. Before him, I, I tell my trouble. Before him, I tell my trouble. And what's weird is I almost feel as if he's speaking to, I mean, he's not necessarily, but he's, I feel like he's speaking to, to, to a mentee, so to speak. Before him, just so you know, I tell my trouble. How many of you complain? Raise them up. Come on. This is an an interactive message. Yes. Yes. I know that some of you are like, nope, I have never complained, except about the the complainers. Have you ever heard the complainers? (laughs) They they complain. Um, (laughs) They're so loud. Uh, Some of you have discovered it's your spiritual gift. I know that. Um, (laughs) My wife knows it's my spiritual gift. Um, Well, if you can complain, hear, hear this now. Here's the good news for you that are complainers. If you complain, you're already halfway there. You can do that. You can point it towards God. You can complain to God. David says, I pour out my complaint to the Lord. Now, if you'd, if you'd be so kind in, in this interactive thing we got going on here, uh, in verse 3 it says this. Read this aloud. with you, with, well, Whoever wants to do it, read with me. When my spirit, spirit grows, grows faint, faint within, within me, it is you who know my way in the path where I walk Men have hidden a snare for me. Look to my right and see. No one is concerned for me. I have no refuge. No one cares for my life. I've never said that out loud before. (laughs) I cry to you, O Lord. I say you are my refuge, my portion in the land of the living. Listen to my cry, for I am in desperate need. 
Rescue me from those who pursue me, for they are too strong for me. Set me free from my prison, that I may praise your name. Then the righteous will gather about me because of your goodness to me. Amen to that. Sometimes you need to be girded up in what the truth really is, even in the face of outlining how wrong everything else is. Old Testament scholars say that there are many different kinds of psalms, some that are thanksgiving psalms, some are psalms of, uh, about the power of God, and some are psalms of wisdom. But the number one category, the single most frequent kind of psalm, at least that I speak out loud, is called the psalm of lament which is just kind of a fancy word for complaint, right? It's the most frequent psalm. A psalm is complaining to God. And if, you, if you've ever walked into this thing we call Christianity, this thing that in the ancient times they called the way, and you believe for a moment, you had this pretty picture painted that, that it's all gonna be, <laughs> I'm gonna take joy in the Lord, it's my strength. Every day, and I'm gonna come in and I'm gonna get that shot of that thing, what you realize quickly, if you look in the Bible, it's filled with what Doug calls a head-scratcher. Yes. Where people are, what are you doing, Lord? I, I don't get it. And they say it out loud. And God allows people to do this. He allows you and I to do this. Which is very, very different from who? Me as a parent. I have four children. Do you think I want to hear their laments all day long? <laughs> have you ever traveled with children? <laughs> Aren't we there yet? Like, I literally decided, the, the only tool I have is that when they annoy me with weird questions that have a very, very apparent, and we're still driving, the car is rolling, right? <laughs> we're not there. <sighs> they say, are we there yet? I say, yep, here we are. <laughs> I have literally said, we, my wife and I drive from Denver uh, to, 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 to Fond du Lac, Wisconsin. It's an 18-ish hour drive. Unless you're me alone, then it's 15. But if you're with us together, it's 18. And, and the kids are like, are we there yet? I have, are we there yet? From Kearney, Nebraska, all the way to Fond du Lac, Wisconsin. But God, thank goodness. Thank you, Lord, that you're not like me. David still gets still enough before the Lord to get to the very bottom of his pain and discouragement. Hear that again. He gets still enough before the Lord to get to the very bottom of his pain and, and discouragement. He feels it in his gut and he exposes his gut, which again is very different from me because I spend all of my time sucking it in. <laughs> right? Right? I mean, uh, let's, let's talk for a moment, man. I know what you do. We're hanging out in the kitchen. We're doing our thing. We're kind of just letting it go. And then our wife walks in. Hi, how are you doing today, right? We did this in high school. We had what we called the lat pull chest. We'd bring ourselves up, we'd suck it all in. Here come the ladies, hi. And then the ladies walk by. We, we visited some folks last night that I met for the first time here and, and I, we got into the, the, into, the bed, into the guest bedroom at Doug and Heidi's house and I said, I can't, I'm so tired of sucking it in. I'm ready to stop hiding it. Like, isn't that what we do with what hurts? That's exactly what we do. Some people stuff their discouragement down real deep and they pretend it's okay. They, they put on a spiritual looking mask, they force a few smiles. But what they are doing is avoiding the pain that's inside them. It doesn't solve anything. And you know what it does? If you're like David, you actually, if you're, 
to, to take David's metaphor is what I mean. If you do that, you hide it, you fake it, you pretend it's not there, you don't wanna talk to God about it, you know what you're doing? You're actually still in the cave. You're staying in the cave. And when we're logging cave time, that's when we have to stop and stop doing that spiritually with our hearts and open ourselves up to what God has to say to us, which is, hey, tell me, be open about it. When we recognize we're discouraged, talk to God just like David did. God, I lay my complaint out before you because I don't understand it. It hurts me, it makes me mad. It makes me distrust you. It makes me not know how to deal with you. It makes me hurt in a lot of ways and places I didn't know exist. And there's a word for that. It's, it starts with an A and ends in authenticity. <laughs> And do you think God desires a new authenticity? He says it very, very clearly in Isaiah 29, 13, which is this, Lord, the Lord says, these people come to me with their mouth. They come near to me with their mouth and they honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Their worship of me is merely based on human rules they have been taught. And if you think that it's just about obedience, that section, it's not only about obedience, it's about authenticity of the heart, the genuineness by which you embrace your relationship with him. God doesn't only wanna hear our praise, he wants to come to us with our, wants, him to, wants us to come to him with our burdens and confusion, to come to him in our anger, to come to him in our pain, to come to him in our doubts. He longs for us to come to him with our whole life. And you know what that sounds a lot like? It sounds a lot like relationship, right? What do you do sometimes? I, I don't know about you, but on, on the Enneagram, I'm a four, if you have ever heard of the Enneagram. I am a tragic romantic is what they title my personality. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> and my wife says, oh, you are so passive aggressive. And I'm like, She no. doesn't talk like that, though. And I'm I like, her. <laughs> she says, oh, you're so passive aggressive. I'm like, no, I'm not. <laughs> When we get wounded, we get hurt, we get angry, what do we do? We sort of pull it in, right? We, we, we pull it in, we suck it in, we're like, nope, I'm not gonna let anything or you or anyone get, get close to what hurts to get close to what makes me mad. In Psalm 42, it's really ironic because I've always listened, I've, I, I love, we joke, uh, Doug and I were joking about how um, we, we should pull out some old, old songs for, for, for church this Sunday. And ironically, not really knowing where we were going with the message I suggested um, as the deer. <laughs> I, was on, it was in, I was in the car on the phone, and I'm like, as the deer about to fall, and the water so my soul. Yeah. Okay. We're here all week. Yep. Um, <laughs> tip jar, tip jar when I'm done with the water. I mean, he's right? literally here all week. Um, <laughs> you read that, we, we know this song, right? We know the song, we know the cross stitch, we, we, we know all of it, and it really is, as the deer panteth for the water, so my, my, my soul pants for you, O oh God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. Where can I go and meet with God? My, my tears have been my food all day and night, and while men say to me all day long, where's your God? I, I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why must I go about mourning oppressed by my enemy? My bones suffer mortal agony as my foes taunt me saying to me all day long, where is your God? That is the honesty of the psalm when you go all the way through, right? Some of you in church recognize that. We, 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 we've done it, and we almost sort of picture that song, Kermit the Frog on a Rock. He's got his little, <laughs> as the deer panteth for the water, so my soul. <laughs> it isn't written that way, is it? It isn't written that way. God, and the, the psalmist isn't saying here, God, I, I really don't care about the circumstances in my life because just like a deer is thirsty for water, I, I'm thirsty for you. And so no matter what's going on in my life, I'm okay. Praise. 
That's not what he gets. You get out of that. It's, it's, it's hard. Life is. By the way, how many of you were painted? I don't want to know. Don't raise your hand. But how many of you, when you, as you were growing up, you felt at times that that's what the Christian walk was painted like? That's what it meant to be a good follower of Jesus was that you said, well, I don't care. I don't care. Praise. And then you're going to put on a smile and do a thing. And in the reality, you started finding at some point, man, it's hard. Man, sometimes, God, the answers that, that I've heard, I, I, they, don't, they don't jive with what I'm seeing. I don't, I don't understand, and I've been waiting for so long. That's not the spirit of the song. He's saying, my God, my, God, my life is, is, is falling apart. My health fails. My enemies are mocking me, and you aren't doing anything. So like a fragile creature dying of thirst, I'm really desperate, Lord. That's, that's Lament. I, I want to I say something quick. I, I, our daughter, uh, our youngest daughter, we have four kids, and our youngest daughter, she's 12 uh, months before she was born. We were pulled in by, by the, 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 uh, the, the uh, wow. No, the one that looks at the sonogram, the, the, that one. Thank you, her. <laughs> and she says, we got something we need to see, we need to check out. And she went, left the room and went and talked to the, the doctor, and they came back, and, and uh, they introduced themselves as a cardiologist, and we found out that our daughter was going to be born with, with uh, her right ventricle missing, and that at the time, this was a long time ago, uh, this was 12 years ago, the technology was only beginning the, uh, taking the beginning of an upswing in, in its abilities, and we were told she had a uh, 50% chance of making it to age four. And things are great now. She's amazing. She's had a great story. But you got to, you know, imagine that moment in, as a parent in there. And, and there was a series of, 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 of um, uh, management processes. There is no fix for something like this. Um, we, 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 we knew that there were going to be three surgeries, one at 30 days, three years, and, or three months and three years. And each one of those gets her to the next one, basically. It keeps her alive. They rearrange the plumbing to make sure she gets to the next place. And over the course of the next three or four years, we were at this place of angst for that last one because obviously the last one would sort of mean a lot, right? And age four would mean a lot. And you get yourself to this, you get so wired up as a parent, you love, you love, you love. And all you know at this point is every time you walk to the doctor, you walk in the door, you wait for someone else to give you information about the control you don't have. And it has everything to do with God. We're going to do our best to take care of your daughter. You hear that, right? And that's great and that's encouraging. But at the same time, man, you get to this place where eventually you, you see in the distance, you see at the four-year mark, the surgery that you hope takes. You hope it sticks and you hope it works. And, and there's this torrent. I can't even describe it. And for those of you that have had worse, I've only seen pieces of that. But for those of you that may not have seen it, I can tell you it's a large thing in the back of the room, in the back of your head, it's this cloud. And when it gets there, Everything comes out. The moment that we walked our, our daughter after two successful surgeries and now she's four years old and we're, we literally hand her to a woman. No, we don't even hand her. We carried her in to what was gonna be the operating room where there's, there's nine people standing around this bed. The room is dark like this except for a single solitary, very bright light shining on this little bed by which she will be saved or hurt or we will lose her. One of the three, right? And there's a person off to the side and, and she's standing there with all kinds of stuff and they say, don't go near her because she's got everything that's going to save her life. 
and we walk over to that bed and we sit her down there on the bed and she's very, very afraid. And I'll talk a little bit more about that in a bit, but, but something came loose as we laid her down, as we said, take care of her. This lament came out that I cannot describe. Have you ever lost track of time mourning? Have you ever lost track of time being afraid? I want you to know that that's the place that God deeply, deeply desires to join you. The truth is we carry stress around in our bodies all day. Anxious about a test, afraid of of failing at work, afraid someone's gonna find out we don't know what we're doing or upset about an explosion or your child or money or a relationship that was going this way and, and now it's going this way. As human beings, we walk around with churning stomachs, stiff necks, sweaty palms, aching hands, boiling blood sometimes, right? And these, these honest palms aren't really so strange after all, are they? They might be more for you than you think they are. I think almost all of us know what the psalmist means when he says, my bones suffer. At my core, as, it, as deep as it goes, I feel this pain, this agony, and I don't see a way out. I don't, I don't see a way out. I'm out of hope. My life is being drained out of me. I can feel stuck here. You can feel stuck in your marriage, or you can feel stuck in your finances, or you can feel stuck in your relationships, or in your workplace, in your job, seeing no way out. And the Psalms, they give voice, they give our words back to God. And in fact, it's almost an invitation, right? Hey, here it is, here it is, here it is. Lament is a central point of traction, just so you know. If you've ever wondered, Church of God, if if you've ever wondered where the central points of traction are for the difference between religion and relationship, the things we talk about today, lament, and what Doug will talk about here in a second, anger, The honesty in those places are central points of traction in the difference between religion and relationship with the God of the universe. I love that. I mean, you don't stuff your stuff, right? We bring our lament, we bring our sorrow, we bring our pain, we bring it all. But the beauty is we don't stay there and sometimes the Psalms help us come up with words, right? To describe that is how I'm feeling. Um, there's, there's another kind of psalm, and we're just going to hit on this shortly so we don't keep you here till noon. Um, <clears throat> I thought that was funny. That, that was good. That was funny. Sorry. Okay. Yeah. You're supposed to laugh if they don't. That, that was a deal we had. <laughs> I was realizing you have color print and I don't. Yeah, no, I know. It's fancy Macintosh over right. a PC. So, um, oh. <laughs> uh. so lament, right? We just covered lament. We're going to spend just a couple minutes on, on a different kind of psalm. These are the imprecatory psalms, or what theologians call them. I, I call them psalms of rage, uh, ticked off psalms. You could probably come up with you more colorful than that. Uh, but these are in scripture. So we're going to look at that for a moment. We're going to then move into something a little more uh, praise and worshipful, and then we'll We'll close, so we are going a little longer to this. What happened? That's to you, my both fault. Of us up Sorry, here. that's not he all your fault. He gave me stuff. I, 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 I talked a while too. So, 
So the imprecatory psalms, the psalms of rage. Now, if you look at the book of Psalms, 150 of them, there are only 18 of these psalms of rage are, are included in the psalms. They are angry expressions. We read one of them earlier, right, from Psalm 137, this, oh, daughter of Babylon, you know, dashing the infants on the rocks deal. I mean, these, these kinds of psalms express in shockingly vivid language the writer's desire for God to destroy an enemy. They're really disturbing. Like, you know, hey, whatever happened to love your enemies? Okay, right. Jesus hasn't been around yet, but still, come on. Uh, and as you can imagine, lots of has been written about this subject, but the best thing that I heard about these psalms of rage that encapsulate them for me was written by a brilliant theologian who, who taught at Yale. Uh, he was originally from Croatia, and so being from that country, he obviously knows something about pain and injustice and even genocide, and his name is Miroslav Volf, and he wrote this profound thought about rage. He said, rage belongs before God. It is the only safe place for it. Amen. So these psalms of rage, according to Dave Johnson again, they are the unfiltered expressions of hearts that have experienced enormous pain, great injustice, and refusing to take vengeance into their own hands, they lay out their anger to God with shocking candor. They say, God, I want you to bring justice here. I know I got to get to the forgiveness thing at some point, but there's no way that I can do that on my own. I got to express this and get it out before you. I need your help, God. And again, rage belongs before God. It's the only safe place for it. And sometimes we think, I can't be angry in front of God. He'll he'll judge me. (laughs) He knows we're angry. He invites us to come as we are. He's that kind of God. He's that kind of father. So are you angry? Are you raging? Is there something in your life where you're hurt or mad or confused? You can bring it to God. Like unfiltered, bring it all. You come as you are. Imperfect people before a compassionate and perfect God who loves us as we are. Like, can we even trust God with our anger and our rage? In fact, we talked about these psalms of lament that Jim talked about, and now these psalms of rage. And, and in a moment, we're going to land the plane here with psalms of praise and go into a couple of songs of worship. But I, we didn't want to just skip ahead to the happy ending, because some of us have some laments that this has triggered. Some of us have some rage, maybe, that we even need to acknowledge before God. And so it's my prayer, again, that in doing this hard stuff, it helps our hearts enter into some place where we could actually have a result of being encouraged in the Lord, just like David was, like we'd find our strength in God. So before we move to the Psalms of Praise, um, Jim's going to lead us just here in a a moment of, of honesty and reflection, and we'll take one minute of silence in it before we move, um, to a quick. Yeah, you, I think we, we all should do this, right? It's, it's a hard thing. Uh, it's, it's not an easy thing. And for some of you, you may go, okay, well, maybe I put that to, to, to rest already. I've put that to bed. I've put that to death. That's no longer a part of me, and that's fine. And for some of you, I mean, it's not going to be enough time because you, you, you have a lot to think about and think through. But what we'd like to do is say, create sacred space for just a moment, for 60 seconds, um, around that thing. And for some of you, it is that place of lament where you, I, I, I don't know, what do you want from me, Lord? Or what are you doing here? Or where are you and why? And maybe it is a place of rage where you're like, I am so angry with what they've done, what they said, what they left me with, the shattered remains of me that they left me with and then walked out. Whatever that is, we want to give you 60 seconds to just talk to God uh, privately, quietly, silently about that. So let's... 
Uh, let's begin. Lord, I, I, uh, I thank you so much. You know each of the hearts that have walked in this place today. You know them uh, with all kinds of intimacy. And we create this space for you now in the name of Jesus. We're going to close with worship this morning, and, and, and we're going to respond to him by worshiping. Um, and, and we're going to lead, we're going to, we're going to lead, we're going to be led there by Psalm 103. Praise the Lord, O my soul. I'm angry. I'm hurt. I'm wounded. Praise the Lord, O my soul. All my inmost being, praise his holy name. Praise the Lord, O my soul. And forget not all his benefits. He who forgives all your sins and heals all your diseases. You, my soul. It's he who redeems your life from the pit and crowns you with love and compassion. May your soul, may my soul be reminded of that in these psalms here. Verse two says, where it says, forget not all his benefits. I think that's important to add to the message, right? Because in my despair, in my anger, in my expressing it to God, it's easy to kind of forget. I, I do forget. In fact, we can come in here on a Sunday morning, especially, I mean, for any of you serving in the church, it's very easy when you begin the process of serving, of wielding human gifts to, to forget. All that he has done for me and to focus on me and my needs and my problems, what I want, what I need out of each of you, what I need out of God. Praise the Lord, O oh my soul, and forget not all his benefits. One commentator says that uh, the connection about, those, about the connection between worshiping and remembering, he says this, the Hebrews believe that only those who praise don't forget. Only those who praise don't forget. Forgetting God begins when praise is silenced. You hear that? If you've ever wondered why we sing repetitive songs at times, <laughs> it's because forgetting God begins when praise is silenced. Worship team, will you guys come? It happens to me, I come here and I'm usually sort of prepared and, and then I forget. And here's the thing, here's what I believe. Um, we're gonna end up wrapping this up. I think we got a lot, we have, we're, we're short on time now, but here, here's, here's what I believe. I, I, I believe that the, the term metanoia, have you ever heard of that, Right? Metanoia is about turning. It's a, it's a term that you see in the, in the New Testament. It's about turning towards. And oftentimes in other places in the Bible, you see us in the church, the capital C church, referred to as the, the bride of Christ, right? So there's this image of marriage, a very strong image of marriage. And whether you've seen, in your life, you've seen the exemplification of good or bad marriage, I'll tell you that the, 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 the right marriage, the holy marriage, the big marriage, the one marriage, the big capital M marriage, is marked by metanoia, which means to turn. It's a changing, it's a turning towards. And if you think about what that would mean in a really good one, 
in a long-lasting one, in a life-giving one, in one that spreads and, and expands and, 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 and brings joy to the lives of people and families and legacy, I'll tell you that this, it's marked by a turning and a turning. And you hurt me and I'm turning towards you. And you said that and I'm still turning towards you and I don't understand and I'm still turning towards you. The relationship that we talk about versus religion with the God of the universe involves turning and even turning lament and even turning rage to praise that we do not forget, that we cannot forget. So I'm gonna ask you this morning as we kind of close up here, we're gonna, um, uh, the worship team's gonna lead us and we have two songs I think we're gonna close with. Um, I'm gonna ask you to take that thing that you looked at for 60 seconds and hold it up here on the mantle uh, Doug and I, uh, I, I couldn't have told you, I couldn't have um, scripted finding someone with a heart similar to mine that has a heart for that, for people there. Um, we're going to take that and I'll let you hang on to it. And we're going to ask God to help us in turning lament, turning rage toward praise as well. Because it's just the beginning of the story, right? Lament and rage. So will you stand with us? Get bonus Sunday here. So, Father, we come as we are. And in these next two songs, even while being real about the things that we are sad or confused about or angry about that's not yet resolved, we still worship you and we forget not. We remember that you are for us, that you love us in our confusion. You love us when things aren't resolved. You are kind, and so we come before you remembering, remembering who you are and trusting you in this journey. So we pour our hearts out before you now, hearts of praise and worship in Jesus' name.